Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Open Floor. I'm Andrew Sharp, live in the gondola, the top level of Scotiabank Arena, here with the Washington Post's Ben Golliver. What's up, man? Not too much, Andrew. Look, the finals is really exciting, but it can be humbling too, right? Like, it's a real test of your juice, you know, exactly how (laughs) connected are we. And I sent out the lifeline to the NBA, and I said, look, open floor, we need a studio to record in. And we got the flat no. Just like, nope, (laughs) sorry, we got no room for you. You go downstairs, there's what, like 300 ESPN employees, you know, around, uh, all these other league partners, we're the independent guys, Andrew. So what we decided to do is we took a very small elevator. I almost got out. It was claustrophobic. We took it up to the sixth floor. There's only six floors. We talked to a cleaning woman who let us know that there was a few rooms that could be available. I believe this room might be for, like, NBA Taiwan or something like that. I don't know. We also saw a giant bag of old popcorn that looked really good to both of us. I was... I was happy to hear that you wanted it also. Uh, So that's where we are right now. It's 1 a.m. The Warriors are trailing in the NBA Finals, which feels a little bit unbelievable. Pascal Siakam just looked like a top 10 player all time. And here we are. Here we are indeed. We are (laughs) kind of hanging over a ledge somewhat. So we, we can see the court. It's down there, but we're at least 300 feet in the air right now. We just need to fully paint the ridiculousness of what we're doing. Yeah. We want the full credit from the Open Floor Globe for our devotion to the cause. I do, actually, though, I really appreciate you also saying that the finals are a reminder of all the juice you don't have. Because right. it is kind of funny walking around here. Like, the Raptors have not made Masai available to basically anyone. And I just saw another national NBA reporter having, like, a 45-minute conversation with Masai. And so... There is a bit of a hierarchy, but here we are just holding it down, you know? In the six, us and Drake. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, we were sitting right by him. I don't know if people (laughs) saw us on television. We were uh, right in the background, right over his left shoulder. But you mentioned Pascal Siakam. I think that's probably the place to start because I'll tell you, Andrew, I had some flashbacks, a little bit of flashbacks. Yeah. So this was only the second game one that Golden State has lost during the Steve Kerr era. They're now 18-2. and Do you know which other team throughout this Golden State tenure beat Golden State in a game one? So I do because I saw your notes beforehand. <laughs> but perfect. I will say Way this. Way to play along. God, I will our, say this. Our though. rapport in person is just perfect. You know it? what? I was watching this game unfold and sort of racking my brain trying to remember a game one that they had lost, and I couldn't do it. So I appreciate so, the Golliver stat. Good thing for me looking it up. The, the other game was the 2016 Western Conference Finals against the Oklahoma City Thunder. And what was the major theme from that series? I mean, to me, it was like the Warriors being scared out of their minds by a team full of long, versatile, athletic defenders who seemed like they were swarming guys, making their lives miserable. I I don't know what people remember from that series. Games three and four, Draymond was just horrible. It was like the two worst games that he had played. And the length was bothering him in addition to guys like Steph and Clay, where, you know, that's sort of what you have to have on the perimeter to keep them in check in any way. So when we come out, fast forward to this series, I mean, that was the story from game one to me. They just, you know, Toronto's defense bottled Golden State up. Mm -hmm. Uh, Curry, I thought, actually responded to the pressure pretty well in terms of trying to put people, you know, put the team on his back uh, and do what he could. Uh, Got to the free throw line a bunch. He was taking a lot of contact throughout that game. Uh, But you could see whether it was just some rush uh, shots, whether it was Draymond, you know, trying to feel his way through the matchup with Siakam and, uh, and Toronto's other big men. Uh, or even Toronto's bigs just holding their own out on the perimeter. Marcus Gasol moving his feet, uh, you know, doing a, a pretty solid job in some of those switching situations. Uh, there was flashbacks, I guess is what I'm saying, to 2016. And, and I think Golden State is facing some of those similar challenges. One of the main themes they had in the postgame after game one was uh, we're unfamiliar with this opponent. We're still trying to figure them out. We haven't played them a bunch. We're not totally used to them. Right. And I, to me, that's probably the experience that they're going to go lean on, right? It's like, how did we unlock those Thunder three years ago? Yeah, and I mean, that's a hard 
it's a hard series to recreate, right? Because how did you unlock the thunder? Like, Clay played out of his mind, had an out-of-body yeah. experience. No, so the game plan is 72 points from Clay in game two. <laughs> yeah, like, I don't know. I don't know how many answers there really are. I will say this. One, the Raptors don't have Kevin Durant. They do have Kawhi Leonard. Um, but that was my question coming into this series. I had two... The two reasons that I was having trouble getting a read on what this was going to look like was, number one, we have seen this version of the Raptors for, like, six weeks at this point. And so it's kind of hard to know exactly what they are and how real their tests have been. Clearly, they are about as real as it gets. Their defense tonight was outstanding. Their defense against the Bucks was outstanding. Same with the Sixers. And they're getting enough from everybody else on offense to really be a problem. So that's number one. But the size thing, I was wondering whether they were going to have the advantages that they wound up having in game one because part of me wondered whether guys were just going to get played off the floor. Like Marcus Gasol, we talked about, like, what's he going to look like 25 feet from the hoop trying to guard Steph Curry on a pick and roll? But he held up really, really well tonight, was great on offense as well. And then Siakam, I mean... He, we've said, I've said a couple times on the podcast over the last month, Draymond struggles with length. And what happened tonight was Siakam got into a rhythm early. And when he gets into the rhythm in the first quarter, first half, he, and starts to see some of those shots go in, whether it's like the runners or kind of the mid range jumpers, he becomes twice as dangerous. And um, he had been kind of out of rhythm for the last couple weeks. But uh, tonight, like, you look at his numbers. I mean, I'm looking at the stat sheet now. He was 14 of 17, 32 points, 8 rebounds, 5 assists. Like, that's absurd. Yeah, I think if I'm Golden State's defense, it's the easy ones early that you're talking about that you want to take away because, you know, going back and looking through his clips, I mean, he was hitting some really crazy tough shots, low percentage shots. I think if you're Golden State's defense, you're just fine with. Like, some nights he's going to make those, but he's not going to go 14 of 17 every single night. Uh, especially because they were contested and a lot of them were below the rim and sometimes in the mid-range on the run. Well, and he did this in game one of the Sixers series and then was never heard from again in that series. Or not never heard from, but he struggled. And um, and so that's the hope, obviously, if you're the Warriors, is that, that this is sort of an outlier game and Siakam has one of these games every couple weeks where people start to think about him as like a centerpiece in an Anthony Davis trade and get a little carried away. But like... I don't know. He's still going to be able to cause problems for them. Yeah, I'd say they would have won this game even if he had had 20. You know right. what I mean? Like, I thought Toronto was in control from the start. The most impressive thing to me was just how they came out of the gates firing on all cylinders. They weren't necessarily hitting their shots, but they launched, I think, eight of their first nine shots were three-pointers. You look at a team where you have such an expectant crowd. I mean, people are standing in line outside the arena at like 6 o'clock in the morning, yeah. you know, waiting to get in here. Uh, so much excitement before the game. I mean, the three tenors <laughs> singing the national anthem. Uh, hey, who were those people? Was I supposed to know who those no, people are? Be careful, because a lot of the people who they were telling you were celebrities are celebrities here. They're oh. just not <laughs> necessarily real celebrities. They sent out a special PR email touting the three tenors, and I was like, okay. Uh, yeah, well. <laughs> is that a, like a Canadian celebrity? I know, I know Bieber and Drake, but my, my depth of knowledge doesn't go much further than that. The crowd's going nuts when they see Tracy McGrady, Damon Stoddard, and there's like two ways that could go it could swallow the team or kind of carry the team yeah and I thought it really carried the Raptors and the way they came out gunning it was like they were sending a message they weren't afraid they weren't in awe they weren't trying to play a feel-out game it was Mm -hmm. like look we're here to shoot threes and bomb and we're gonna uh you know harass Steph Curry as much as possible on the perimeter and try to make his life difficult uh and you know really bring the fight to Golden State uh, as cliche as that sounds so I was impressed by that. Like you mentioned, they win the Marcus Gasol minutes, which uh, I, I wouldn't have predicted coming into the series. And it's another thing where they're going to have to sustain that uh, if they want to have this formula work. Like if they want to win this series, they have to keep doing that uh, again and again. And I think Golden State will be spending a lot of their mental energy trying to figure that one out because his shooting was big for them too. Like if it wasn't for Pascal and Marcus Gasol, uh, you know, hitting those three pointers at the top of the key or outside the arc. Kawhi's slow start or kind of inconsistent offense, I think, would have shown through more obviously. Yeah. But Toronto survived it no problem because those guys were hitting their shots. Kawhi also doesn't look super healthy right now, and I don't know how seriously to take that because maybe he can kind of play himself 
back to what, whatever rhythm he's been in for the past month where he looks like the best player on the planet over the course of this series. But um, he was kind of dragging that leg up and down the floor, which is not a great sign for Durano. Yeah, there was a couple times. Like, one time he got beat backdoor in transition, and, like, usually he just, like, swipes that pass and it's yeah. just a steal. And instead it goes for a layup. A couple other times where it just seemed like it wasn't like he was shying from contact because he actually did get to the free throw line a decent amount in this game. But it, it seemed like when he was attacking the paint, he wasn't attacking to score, right. right? Like, he's just, like, attacking and then, like, very quickly wanting to pass out. And, and some of that might be the defense that the Warriors were playing against him because they were throwing one and a half guys at him on every single possession. And so that's Iguodala and Clay, and then guys like Draymond and Looney kind of helping. And that's a really tough problem to deal with. And so I don't blame Kawhi for looking a little bit more mortal in game one than he did over the last couple of weeks. But um, yeah, it was less about the decisions and more about just kind of the mentality. You know what I mean? Like he, he wasn't like, I, I guess part of me expected him to come out and be like, okay, this is my series. Kevin Durant's not here. I'm going to just like Steph did, you know, Steph yeah. came out with a kind of a purpose. Like he took that crazy, like spinning uh, mid range jumper. And it was like, yeah, this is my show, right? Like right. welcome to the Steph Curry show. And you could tell he'd been waiting to play basketball for 10 days. You know, it was kind of like that, that nervous energy trying to get out of his body. But um, with Kawhi, it was different. And he's always, you know, a, a pace himself type of guy, let the game come to him. Uh, but I thought even more than usual, he was doing that and, and, enjoying the opportunity to pass or like taking the opportunity to pass yeah more often than he might yeah it's it's just something worth monitoring as we go forward and try not to overreact to one game um but that was noticeable within the first six minutes like Kawhi just doesn't look totally right or totally comfortable and to the Raptors credit I think they can win when he's in that facilitator mode, which is something we weren't sure about a month ago, but they sort of showed that in the Bucks series as well. Like, it's it's a healthy dynamic when he is making the extra pass and trying to get other guys involved and getting the, his teammates in a rhythm. And we saw that with Siakam tonight. Let's do a couple of Siakam questions. Zach says... Do you think the Pascal Siakam statue outside Scotiabank Arena is already in the works? And seriously, he struggled against Milwaukee, but tonight he looked great. What did you guys see that was different for him in Game 1? And I think if we're looking at what was different, the key for Siakam tonight is he got out in transition, and that is a reflection on bad Warriors defense and also bad Warriors offense. Because yeah, they turnovers. Were, yeah, they were turning the ball over a lot. And the Raptors were just wreaking havoc in transition, not only with Siakam, but also just seeking out mismatches on the fast break. And they were really effective that way. And that's, I guess, when you think about the Warriors, obviously you look at Steph's numbers, you look at Clay's numbers, but like over the last four or five years, the barometer for them has always been how much they turn the ball over. And like midway through the season, when I spent some time with them, um, Steve Kerr was like, look, when I'm when I'm trying to find out how healthy our team is, I look at Draymond's turnovers and I look at his assist to turnover ratio. And I think we saw that in game one where like they were a little bit loose with the ball and just kind of all over the place. And that's the type of thing that allows a guy like Siakam to get rolling and become become twice as dangerous. Yeah, I mean, they've been harping on their turnovers and that being kind of like the d differentiator between when they're playing well and when they're playing poorly for pretty much since the start of this uh, Curry-Curry era because Curry is usually the guy where, like, if he's really getting loose with it, then everything kind of breaks down and it gets ugly. But tonight... Um, I think it was a combination of some loosey-goosiness, um, but also a lot of really good pressure defense uh, by Toronto and a lot of really good help defense on the backside too when they're trying to make those extra passes through the defense. Uh, lots of long arms, deflections, and then they're taking off and running with it. Before the game, Nick Nurse said, like the number one thing he was going to stress in his pregame comments was transition defense. Mm -hmm. And Golden State finished with like 17 fast break points, but a lot of those came super late in the game. They controlled the pace the whole way through. Like you mentioned, Toronto did a much better job of turning defense into offense. And uh, Siakam is so long that when he's in the open floor, there's not really anything that anyone can do. Like Draymond is a great rim protector, right? But it, it's much harder to defend the rim at full speed when Siakam's you know, catching a pass in stride and trying to dunk over you 
than it is to prepare, get yourself set, you know, and jump in the half court uh, and, and contest a shot that way. So, I mean, I don't know what you're really supposed to do other than not turn the ball over. Uh, you know, getting back, like, that's, you know, that's not really like a, for, uh, like a, a workable formula. Yeah. And see, Occam deserves a ton of credit for, number one, working his ass off over the last three years and becoming a, like Draymond said in the post game, he said, Siakam's a guy now, which I think is a great way to put it because he is. He's someone you just have to take seriously. Um, yeah, he's somebody who killed Draymond in game one. Yeah. <laughs> that <and> guy <laughs> killed Draymond. Well, and Draymond was pretty honest about that and said, I need to be better and I will. And so we'll see where we are after game two. Uh, but most guys can't go a full sprint down the floor and um, and then sort of finish with ease, but uh, Siakam pulled it off. Credit to him. Credit to the Raptors. Are we bearing the lead here, though? I mean, Golden State has a seven-foot front court player who's a skilled defensive player, who's an incredible scorer, who could have bailed out some of Golden State's offensive issues, and who would have definitely helped in this battle with Kawhi and Siakam, and his name's Kevin Durant, right? Do we feel like the takeaway from game one was Golden State really needs him in this series? Um, that was certainly my takeaway. Sitting there, watching it. To be clear, though, you never thought the opposite, right? What do you mean? Like, you never thought Golden State doesn't need KD? I never did. <laughs> I yeah. never did. I have to be honest. If you want to say, do the Warriors play a much more entertaining brand of basketball without KD? I don't even know if that's an argument at this point. But, well, I would argue it, but we don't. We don't need to argue it because right now we're in the, a situation where, hold on, hold it's on. not about aesthetics, right? While we're talking arguments, can we please talk about my Eastern Conference oh, God. standing up strong and proud on a national stage? No, an international stage. Who, who did you pick? I picked the the Milwaukee Bucks. No, to win in this series. Oh, okay. Well, uh, I did pick the Warriors. Yeah, I saw you pick them in six and seven in various you know what? places. You know what I thought about? I th- I thought the the <laughs> Raptors have the tools to really make this interesting, and were it a different team that I had more natural affection for, I might just make a pick out of passion and, mm. and, and get a little reckless, but I wasn't willing to do it for, like, Kyle Lowry and Marcus Gasol. I All right. apologize. Well, then you, don't, then you don't get to have this uh, victory left no, for the Eastern no, Conference no, after no. one the game. The East, the top half of the East, man, they looked great, but... All right, come on, let's stay in focused addition, In uh, addition, you get a mini victory lap because, look, the Warriors are going to need Kevin Durant to, to win this series. There's no doubt about it. And you look out there tonight, it's Steph Curry, Klay Thompson, and like eight guys who don't want to shoot. That's a problem. Against a really good defense, there's only so much you can do when you don't have real threats out there. Yeah, I mean, Iguodala has been, you know, real up and down. I think the the reason why I find Golden State to be actually more aesthetically pleasing when Durant's out there is because they're more consistent. They don't have the big swings up and down. And so some people love the big swings because it means you get the 20-point comeback. But, you know, part of me is just sitting there watching them kind of agonizing over them digging a 15-point hole. It's like, what's the point of this? Why, you know, why are... Why is all this talent getting themselves consistently, you know, behind in games that they shouldn't be behind? And I think they missed the steadying influence of Kevin Durant uh, at times in the Portland series. People wanted to pretend that they didn't, but they definitely did. And uh, you know, defensively, I think that they miss his length. And that's just, the thing. It's it's the length dealing with guys up front who are genuinely talented. They but, didn't have to really do that against the Rockets. They did not have to do that against the Blazers. And the Raptors have Serge Ibaka, they have Marcus Gasol, they have Siakam, they have Kawhi as well. And you see, I mean, Iguodala had a great quote, I believe it was to someone with The Athletic over the last few days, talking about missing KD and saying, like, of course we miss KD. My leg is screwed up because of all the minutes I had to play at the end of that Rockets series. Like, I miss KD, and he injured his leg again tonight, and he's going to play in game two, it sounds like, but like... That's the type of stuff where this team is just really thin yeah. if you take well, KD off the roster. That's why KD's hurt, too. I mean, it's a classic case of, like, overuse injury after playing tons and tons of minutes in both the Clippers series and the Houston series because of some of the depth issues. I mean, I think they miss his length defensively for sure, the versatility, just the, the pure matchups in terms of who those guys would have to guard. They miss his half-court scoring ability, too. I mean, there's, like, really no question about it. When they get into those situations where Steph is bottled up, it's not just the guys who are afraid to shoot the open shots that you're describing. It's also 
the lack of like a secondary playmaker, right? Yeah. It's like Clay can be tracked. You know, he's not going to be putting the ball down a lot. Draymond, you described earlier, him struggling. I mean, I think he had, what, six turnovers. A lot of that's just a, a, a case of trying to do a little bit too much. He was able to do more against Portland, as we talked about, because their front line was so rough. Like, you're not going to get yourself into a lot of problematic situations when you're attacking Myers Leonard, Zach Collins, whoever else Portland had out there, Harkless, uh, Aminu. Uh, but you're going to get into some trouble real quick if you're Draymond and you, you don't have the world's greatest handle. You're not asked to play make a ton off the dribble in traffic, and now you're running into uh, a bunch of guys who are sort of all defense-level players, at least at some point of their career, whether it's Kawhi, Pascal, uh, Marc Gasol as well. So uh, their offense really misses Kevin. I think their defense misses him, but their offense really misses him in this series. Uh, I think Golden State's whole theme was like, we could play better, right? Our offense can be better than it was. Clean up the turnovers, get back in, in transition defense, and life will be better. Yeah. Um, but this series is tight. If they don't get KD back at all, uh, it, it's going to be uh, a real mountain, I think. So what did you think generally of the Warriors' disposition postgame? Because you're right. Basically, everyone who took the podium, whether it was Steve Kerr, Steve Kerr was a little bit more diplomatic, but Draymond went up there and was like, yeah, we're not worried. We're, yeah. we, I actually like where we are, which is like, okay, actually, this is funny to me. And then, like, Yeah, I've, play... I've seen them do that more convincingly, though. Like, I think there's a little, I think there's appropriate fear here. Yeah. Like, I mean, Steph was kind of like... I hope so, Yeah. because there should be, you know? Yeah. Like, given where they are... Given the uncertainty around KD, I would understand if they know that Kevin Durant is healthy and coming back for game two to, to play it that way. But hearing them just kind of be like business as usual was a little off-putting. Yeah, I mean... I, and I don't blame them for feeling that way if they if they do, because these guys have been living dangerously and, and dominating the whole sport for the last five years. But still... I, I, I To me, they seemed a little bit more concerned than they did even during that Rocket series. I mean, I guess if you're looking for comparison points... Go back to that Thunder series in 2016, the 2017 Rocket series. I think things got a little bit weird because of the KD dynamic of, like, you know, is he screwing up the offense during that series last year? Um, I guess that was 2018. Yeah. Um, they seemed, like, reasonably, you know, concerned at that point. Um, but, you know, Steph looked like he just kind of wanted to get out of there. Like, he was just sort of, you know, saying, saying all the right things about, oh, you know, we're – uh, you know, we came here to get one and all that stuff. But he looked annoyed. Like he looked genu- genuinely frustrated. And Clay, actually. And they've got to realize. And you know, I don't blame them for feeling annoyed because sitting there in the press conference, you're you're sitting there and you're like, man, these guys just played one of the biggest games of the season, and they now have to just sit through these like inane questions for five to ten minutes. That's got to be kind of a rough deal. Like, I, I get why they have to do it, but it's a pain in the ass. Yeah, but I think that they can look at this both ways. Like, I think the optimism that they would try to bring is, like, uh, that was a crazy home court advantage. Like, that's the all-time, like, most excitement in a building, like, toughest environment you're going to have to deal with. It's only game one. Uh, you know, Cousins did not look good at all in terms of getting back in, and so they survived some minutes with him. All of the role players played about as poorly as they can. Uh, Steph can definitely, you know, get looser, and Draymond had a bunch of turnovers. So, like, there's lots of room for internal improvement. But you can flip that around and say, look, Kawhi didn't even play that well, yeah. you know, and he can play a lot better than that. And their answers for Kawhi, I thought, were pretty good defensively, but I don't didn't seem like they solved him at all. And uh, well, you know, and he didn't look like himself, so maybe that was partly on Kawhi and where he was tonight. Um, I think if you're the Warriors, though. You look at it and say, all right, so we got maybe a B-minus Kawhi game, but we did deal with an A-plus Siakam game. And even as poorly as we played, as sloppy as we were, as as kind of disorganized as we were in transition, it was still a three-point game in the fourth quarter. Like, I kept looking up being like, man, yeah. the Raps have been controlling this entire game, and the Warriors are still right there, which is a good sign for Golden State. Yeah, but I've also seen Golden State go through comeback after comeback after comeback. And, like, in Portland, I wrote my gamer when they were down 17. I never once <laughs> I never once wrote it like they were going to lose, right? And 
they almost they, they had a chance to lose it in regulation at overtime, but I was never actually concerned on their behalf that they were going to lose the game. Flipping around here, I never thought they were going to win this game. After, yeah. after probably... But I think that says more, not to go back to East-West, that does say more about where the Blazers were in that series. Right. But but what I'm... Yeah, what I'm saying is there there's a stiffer competition here. There's no question about it. Between Toronto, uh, you know, being... Playing... Peaking at the right moment and Portland being kind of a, you know, a shell of themselves. But it also says something about, like, what's Golden State going to have to deal with here in this series? And, like, if just getting it close within three in the fourth quarter, like, briefly flirting with it, making it a game, isn't going to be enough here. I guess that was my point. Yeah, and that that's a very fair point because every time they were able to get it close, the Raptors would kind of lock in defensively and then hit a few shots. Another great Van Vliet game tonight. I love that he keeps this rolling. Um, let's take a quick break, though, because today's show is brought to us by DraftKings, and after a long and grueling regular season and everyone battling through the playoffs, the finals are finally tipping off here. Just tipped off, in fact. And uh, the series is pretty interesting. I feel like this could go five, six, seven. Um, DraftKings is the leader in daily fantasy sports, and they are having their biggest online basketball contest ever. If you've ever been thinking about trying DraftKings or you miss fantasy basketball dearly, now is the time to get involved. With Single Game Showdown, there's $2.5 million in total prizes up for grabs with a grand prize of $1 million. Ben, tell me a little bit more about DraftKings. Here's how it works. All you have to do is draft six players uh, from each game, one captain and five other players. You get points for rebounds, assists, points scored, and more, with your captain earning 1.5 times as many points. It's that simple. Six players from one game. Just stay under the salary cap and see how your team stacks up against the competition. If you had Pascal Siakam tonight, you killed it. Go to (laughs) DraftKings.com or download the app now. Use promo code FLOOR and enter the all-new Single Game Showdown contest this week to compete for a $1 million top prize. That's promo code FLOOR to compete for the $1 million top prize only at DraftKings, the game inside the game. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. All right, so building off my inane rambling during that ad read, uh... How many how many games do you see this series going? What did you pick? I didn't. I forget. Warriors in six. I only picked once. I saw you pick two different things. You again. know what, man? All right. I had to make my first pick in the middle of Memorial Day. Left a family cookout to go record the podcast with you. I hadn't thought that hard about. It. Went Warriors in seven, and then said, you know, I think they could probably close it out at Oracle. It does feel like we're gonna get at least six games here, though, right? Yeah, I picked Warriors in six. I mean. To me, uh, Kevin Durant coming back is like the whole series. You know? Yeah. They need this guy. And uh, it doesn't necessarily surprise me how good Toronto looked. I do think they're probably going to come back to earth a little bit. There's going to be a little bit of a hangover effect, I would guess, in, in game two, just because everything was building to that moment. I mean, seriously, like how many things did we go through, like the pomp and circumstance over these last couple of days? Masai Ujiri welcoming everybody to the city. Uh, Adam Silver waxing eloquent about like the first the NBA. The birth of basketball. Right. <laughs> he, he invoked uh, James Naismith. Right. And I mean, that's Who kind of been Canadian, the mood. By the way. He yeah. is. Uh, yeah, so that's what I mean. Like, there's there was a lot leading up into that moment, and now can you sustain that over the course of a series? We've seen lots of teams struggle to kind of replicate that after game one. Um, and, you know, I think if you're Golden State, you know, you're, you're trying to bunker down and do that. But, yeah, I think it's going to be a, a six-game series. And if Kevin comes back, um, there's going to be an adjustment period in there too. So I think for Toronto, though, if they're going to win this series, don't you think they have to win game two? It does feel that way. And and it's funny because I, I sort of played that out in my mind. Even if they do win game two, I won't be confident in them actually winning the series. I think it just speaks to where we are with the Warriors right now. Like, until they're actually dead, I will be convinced that they are going to come back and uh, wreak havoc and make everyone miserable and win another title. But, um, and I, frankly, I'm kind of rooting for that for <laughs> Steph. Um, but, uh I do want to. I want to go back to what you said about this game one because Zach said, "How poetic is it after all the issues with past game ones that Toronto gets it done and Lowry gets the exclamation point three at the very end? Incredible night! 
And uh, that three was big for him because he was what was he one for eight? That one he wasn't great. He that, wasn't great. That one helped his box score line a lot. Oh, what's uh, people always say? He's a winning player. Makes winning plays. He had like four, five, and six at some point. Um, Lowry though, Lowry aside, actually, this night was really, really cool. Um, I don't know if you experienced any of that, but like the energy in the stadium was just nuts. It's one thing to be that way before tip-off, and I, I honestly don't know how much of it came through on TV. I hope a lot of it did, because like being in here, you mentioned the threes. They were going nuts every time a three went up, and then when it actually went in, <laughs> they hit like another level of delirium, and um, just... I think this was sort of a moment where everyone looked around and was like, holy shit, like we really have come a long way. I was I was talking to Jalen Rose before the game and Isaiah Thomas was there too and they're they're kinda catching up being like, God, like twenty years ago it was not like this. And um, I mean, three years ago it wasn't like this because the crowd wouldn't have been two confident. Two weeks ago during the right. Sixers series, it wasn't like this. Like the crowd wouldn't have been confident and the players wouldn't have been as confident. So they're just in a really good groove. I mean, that's, do, that's, we, do we need to take a minute and just say, like, is Nick Nurse like an evil genius? Like, is he a mad genius here? Like, he knows what buttons to push, or is it the Kawhi effect of him just being so confident that everybody kind of falls in line behind him? Um, because to get a game like that from Siakam in Game One of the Finals, you know, you to, know, to be that mentally prepared, that ready to go, it's impressive. I don't know who you chalk that up to. Nick Nurse has not gotten enough credit for the coaching job he's done. I mean, he's back. <laughs> Dude, he was telling us stories before the game about coaching in a championship game in Des Moines, Iowa. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, in the pregame pressers, because I've been up here, he's always invoking like the World Basketball League or whatever right. he was coaching in 20 years ago. Uh, it's great. I, I feel like, number one, his name, Nick Nurse, is like hard for people. He doesn't like cultivate some some myth of genius um he was wearing his own branded hat branded hat for a while there the raptors are really into that pascal's got the logo yeah. apparently people followed up to let us know that if you did want to get a van vliet shirt or gear he has his well, own store a number of people called my bluff on, bluff on that one i'm gonna so have did you to. buy it or not <laughs> well i considered an 80 dollar hoodie but 80 dollars yeah uh i don't know if they win the title i promise i will buy the $80 Fred Van Vliet hoodie. Maybe he'll like finish the series shooting like 78% from three and he'll put it on discount. You'll have, you'll have, you'll have to pay $78. It'll be perfect. Yeah. Well, no. Shout out Nick Nurse though, because he's been kind of an easy punchline at various points. Like I've seen a bunch of people on Twitter be like, God, I do not have any confidence in Nick Nurse, but he has done a great job. Remember he had that like elephant in his office that everybody could right. rub like the elephant in the room when you travel so, do you ever get, hokey <laughs> when you travel do you ever get the sensation where you just sort of like give up you know like you just all the things that would normally like anger you you just travel for so long that like you no longer really care like i just remember when i was Sounds stuck like that's where you've been <laughs> well that's where i've been for the last couple of weeks when i was dealing with all that uh, crazy weather in houston it's like normally i, I want to get to the airport like exactly like what two and a half hours early two hours early and like there's certain things that would really bug me oh now i'm 15 minutes late here or like somebody takes a wrong turn and at some point you're just like eh forget it like this is just all too much whatever let's just like go with the flow yeah i feel like that's nick nurse's life story like he's been through so many weird basketball gyms and basketball situations he's probably been in every single like end game ato uh thing he was even describing how he like practiced with a full court press with, for like one like one year he just wanted to like press the whole time to see what would happen like basically bringing back patino style basketball so I, I just feel like he's been through everything that like you get to a moment like this where most coaches would be like at least a little bit nervous. Yeah. But he's just sort of like, well, whatever. <laughs> I've, I've been I was on in South Dakota yeah. ten years ago. Right. I haven't like lived in the same city for more than six months for the last twenty years. So I guess I'm in the NBA Finals now. This is great. It's pretty wild, man. Um, so all right, biggest takeaway from the game is that this is going to be a the Kevin Durant. Oh wow, they just turned the lights down here. <laughs> That's great. I love it. We're going to get locked in this room. Um, so with the KD thing, though, it's hard to have any real informed opinion on when he's going to be back. Um, well, Bar Barkley said he's not coming back, and Barkley sometimes knows this stuff. Like, do you remember when he called Kobe not coming back? Uh, that one of the years that he had a season-ending injury, like, before Christmas, and, mm -hmm. and Barkley was like, Kobe's done for the year. 
Like he's not coming back. And then nobody else reported that for like another three months, but then he never came back. No. And then, so now Barkley's, you know, kind of out there on the island saying Golden State's lying, quote unquote, his word, that Durant's not in a position to, to play in this series. Do you believe Barkley? Well, I was talking to someone earlier about this. It We have to acknowledge how impossible a situation it would be if he were to come back midway through the series because there's going to be insane amounts of scrutiny on him no matter what happens. I think the one path for him to come back without much to lose is if they do go down 2-0 and then he can come back and, and potentially be the savior and if it doesn't work I don't think anybody's going to kill him and say like then yeah. it becomes a bigger Warriors story not Kevin Durant ruining the Warriors I'm not totally sure I buy this narrative I know you've never bought it but here's why I mean Iguodala 6 points Jordan Bell 11 you know 11 minutes 2 points Alfonso McKinney, six points. Like, there's a lot of minutes out there that Kevin Durant in a wheelchair would give them better production oh, yeah, than no. a lot of these players. So I don't feel like... But do you agree? Because this, Of is... course there's going to be scrutiny, but I just feel like he is going... They're going to look better when they have him, even if he's in a limited role because of the other players that they're being forced but to play. My question is, because I think you, you made a comment on one of our podcasts. We've done too many podcasts at this point. Um, like, a week ago, you said... Kevin Durant's going to come back when he's healthy, and that's the end of it. Yeah. But part of me wonders how much the larger narrative plays into when he's back, how much free agency plays into when he's back. And there's just kind of a lot in the air for him right now. Well, so I don't see the risks from the free agency standpoint. I've thought about this, too, because, like, in some situations, guys would just be like, you know what, like, I've, contract's coming up. I'm not going to risk it. I might, might as well just cash my four- or yeah, five-year deal. Yeah, he's getting max regardless. He's going to get whatever from whoever regardless. And if all these, you know, reports about how, you know, this New York thing, you know, is supposedly, like, finished, like, what do they care if he plays or not? Right. Like, why would they care as long as they get him? So to me, that's and he's also so his mantra for the last couple of years, aside from all the weird things he said to teenagers on the Internet, has been focus on the basketball, not on the BS. Right. Keep it focused on the court. That's what we should be talking about. I don't understand how that could be your mentality and you not wanting to go on the court at the first moment. It was completely possible. You know what I mean? Like, I believe him when he says, I don't care about any of these other things. All I care about is hoop. And if that's true, he wants to be on the court more than anybody else because he wants to be playing and he believes in himself as the best player in the world so why wouldn't he want to be out there i just don't what would be i i guess you have to make the case for me about what the hang-up would be like what's what's going through his mind to to lead him to a conclusion of anything besides i want to play right now so i'm gonna play yeah well if you're if you're asking me do i buy what barkley's selling i don't think that any decision has been made one way or the other I don't, and I think that if the injury was that much worse, um, the Warriors would be more cryptic than they have been about when they when he might return. Um, so I don't think that the injury they've been, they've been kind of dribbling it, right? Yeah, yeah, and they make it seem like it's a real possibility, and they would have shut it down, I think, by this point, um, just for everyone's sanity. But the case is twofold. Number one. I think that it's a real possibility that that injury in the Rocket series kind of spooked everyone on Team Durant before free agency, and everyone looked around and said, whoa, like this summer we'll play very, very differently if we're going into it injured. Um, and, and that, I don't want to, like... And this is all completely speculation. <laughs> Let's be you very, read my mind. Clear. I was about to ask you about yeah. that. Yeah, and so, but I, I, it would make sense to me if that's how they reacted, number one. And it would make sense to me if they looked at this as something of a no-win situation at this point. And, um, well, I, I've said as much. I mean, I do think it is kind of a no-win situation for them. I mean, the only scenario where he could win, as I described previously, is they get down 0-2 or they're down 3-1 or whatever it would be. He comes back into the series. The whole series turns around. He gets all the credit for it, right? Dude, yes. Otherwise, it's a losing scenario. If they win without him, he loses. If they win and he's not the major reason why, he loses. Uh, if Toronto wins, he loses. But Someone, I think it's as simple to me as, like, what's Kevin made of? We know he's been a workaholic, a basketball-holic his entire career. And <laughs> if you're in his situation, you would want to play, right? Even if you weren't 100%, even if your leg was a little bit screwed up, even if there was a risk of injury. I mean, look how hard DeMarcus Cousins 
work to get himself back on the court, and he didn't even look good. Like he didn't even he wasn't moving well. He had you know very gonna, little impact. We're going to talk about Boogie in on a the minute. game. I'm just saying if Boogie is willing to do all that, and obviously he has more financial incentive yeah. to do something, right? And, and Durant, still, to be fair, has been in a weird place with this team at various points for for nine months now. But and he's so also been like a very very steady performer. Right? Yeah, he shows up every single night. He's he's played hard. He's led them at, at moments when Steph was injured and he was he's, he was their best player early in the playoffs right and I think to let all of that go just to play it safe to me it would just seem out of character for him whereas with some other players I can think of you know big name players you know they might take a different approach hey guys what's up this is Ben Golliver with Sports Illustrated's Open Floor Podcast keeping a healthy lifestyle should be easy right you eat veggies drink green smoothies exercise to get your heart rate up and do yoga to bring your heart rate down woo Well, maybe not so easy, but there is something that helps improve everything, and you can do it with your eyes closed. It's sleep. Sleep Number knows what it takes to sleep your best. The Sleep Number 360 Smart Bed lets you choose your ideal firmness, comfort, and support on each side, your Sleep Number setting. It's the perfect solution for couples. These beds are so smart, they respond to your every move and automatically adjust to keep you sleeping comfortably all night. Proven quality sleep is life-changing sleep. And now, for a limited time during the Memorial Day sale, save $1,000 on the new Sleep Number Special Edition Smart Bed, a queen now for only $17.99. You'll only find Sleep Number at Sleep Number stores or by visiting www.sleepnumber.com. That's www.sleepnumber.com. Are we, who were you alluding to here? I'm not sure who, the, who that was a shot at. Um, I don't know. The guy who quit on his team last year. Yeah, I was going to say, perhaps a former San Antonio Spur um, who currently owns the NBA. Yeah, I hear you, and I, I hope that he comes back. I mean, we got a question here, shouting out the Siakam game, hearkening back to the Rodney Hood game, the Clay game in Oklahoma City. Uh, the Draymond game against the Blazers, and they and they were asking like, who's the next game? This is Adam writing in. Who's the next game? Like, I hope it's a Kevin Durant game at some point here. I would love to see Kevin Durant come back and look awesome. I mean, I, I mentioned it on the podcast earlier this week. I think he had like 39 against the Raptors back in October or, no, or November. Like, that kind of performance would be great. And I want to say he had 51 maybe, but doesn't it feel like Steve Kerr is almost playing like Russian roulette with these games? Like he's just throwing every single player on the court. Maybe today's the Jonas game. Dude, maybe today's I look the out Co- there some of these some of these lineups. I'm just like, really? Yeah. Like this is the plan? I mean, he opened the fourth quarter with the jankiest lineup in the I'm, – I'm not going to curse uh, working on it. <laughs> but, yeah, it was not great. Uh, I like Quinn Cook. I think he's a guy you can trust. They're leaning pretty heavily on um, Jonas Derekko tonight, like, they, and the boogie stuff. So here we got a question from uh, Tyrus, who says, "In the lead up to the finals, starting on Thursday, I'm reading absolutely everything. It has become clear to me that there is one factor that every writer, pundit, and analyst has an opinion on that is the perfect barometer." of whether this person has actually been watching the games and understands basketball. The topic is this. How much should DeMarcus Cousins play as it relates to Kevon Looney? If the analyst thinks that Cousins can have more than a marginal positive impact, then this person now has zero credibility to me. He is way, 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 way more likely to muck up the great chemistry the Warriors have going on right now. So what I would say there is I don't like when people do the, oh, you have this opinion, you now have zero credibility. So tone that down a little bit. But I do agree completely that, like, you should be playing Kevon Looney 35 minutes a night, and I'm not sure this is the series for DeMarcus Cousins because, like, we talk about them struggling in transition. Well, guess what? Boogie is going to struggle to guard in transition every minute he's on the floor. Yeah, and, like, that's the thing. I mean – you, I think some people wanted to make this argument against uh, DeMarcus Cousins when he was fully healthy. Yeah. And that's where I thought people were going too far with it because he, I thought he helped Golden State at times. You can definitely make the case they were better with Looney than Cousins during the regular season too. Uh, and that you know the, the fit is just cleaner, the ball moves better, Looney's a better defensive player. Like There's a long list of reasons, right? But there's it's not really even a debate 
this version of Cousins. I mean, the guy can barely move, and it's a miracle. I mean, I was sitting there. I tapped the guy next to me, and I was like, can you believe this guy's on the court? I mean, it's a miracle he's even playing uh, so quickly after that injury. I think it says a lot about his character that he was able to do that, and I mean, he's had his character, you know, questioned and assassinated from every direction for year after year after year. Um, but, yeah, I don't think this is going to be the series for him. I mean, he only played eight minutes. They were in, like, very quick bursts uh, multiple times. longer than eight minutes. Right. Well, I mean, the, the ball was going, you know, much more quickly than his body was moving, and uh, he really just didn't contribute much at all. There was a couple times where he was able to get switches. They, you know, they dumped the ball into him. He gets himself fouled, and, and that could be helpful in certain situations. But, uh, yeah, well, and he's a good screener and a good passer, and offensively they were okay, at least for his first stretch on the floor. Um, his second stretch was, was just not great. But, like, sometimes I watch the Warriors and I wonder what Steve Kerr is trying to prove. Like, we just spent a month kind of coming to this Kevon Looney epiphany where you're, everyone is like, wow, like, this guy's pretty solid. Like, he, he can really, he's, he's going to get paid this summer. And then they start Jordan Bell at the beginning of the game, and it's like, I, I what's what's the point here? What are we trying to what What are we trying yeah. to achieve? I mean, Golden State just likes to buy those early minutes. I think that's sort of been their philosophy. Is like they they almost like work the games backwards. You know what I mean? So yeah. it's like, I mean, that's why they so often come out really strong in the third quarter. It's why they so often come on the second half uh, comebacks. It's like they just almost view starting as like a ceremonial thing where like we're just going to try to get through the first six minutes and then move forward and it is a little high horsey it um, is it's it's galaxy brain cur a little bit but i also think basketball it, purist right but i think that they feel like looney is sometimes better in that they bench must role. they clearly do and they would be starting duran if they had him right so i think that's like by process of elimination they have to put somebody else in that spot i don't think moving looney to the starting lineup changes all that much for them yeah I mean, what did he play tonight, though? Like twenty-five minutes or twenty-eight minutes? I mean, he was—he was easily. I mean, he was the only guy off their bench who played lots of minutes, other than Livingston, and pretty much everybody else was kind of on short, uh, you know, short rotations. But they feel longer, like you're mentioning, because when Steph's not out there, those minutes just drip by so slowly for Golden State's offense. They struggle to get really almost anything going. Uh, and same deal when Draymond's not out there. I mean, they really, you know, feel his absence. I mean, I think if there's going to be any adjustment here, it will be play the play the stars more yeah well and we should also be very clear that like when we talk about the lack of depth with the warriors right now this is the trade-off that they made to to get kevin durant and and it it was always going to be about their stars they're now short a hall of famer and well part of the problem gonna get dicey I, i think the real the real bargain was the cousins move right yeah because like they could have used that mid-level money on another rotation guy right and in the past they haven't always like used that slot that i don't know how great the alternatives were going to be for them i mean i think no matter what past that hamptons five it was always going to be kind of hit or miss and um granted there have been more misses than hits for bob myers but like for the most part everybody knew the deal coming in where it was like those five guys were going to have to carry them and um and so it shouldn't be that surprising. I think it was more incredible watching them hang in there with Steph and Clay and Draymond and like five G League adjacent supporting players. Um, and like, because even Sean Livingston right now is not the Sean Livingston they had three years ago. And so it's just a tough situation. And that's again why they need Kevin Durant because that's that's the trade they made is they were going to go with superstars and um, they don't have all their stars right now. Well, which is very obvious analysis, but like I think sometimes it's important to state the obvious. This, no, I, I appreciate it because I've been campaigning for Kevin to get his credit for years, and I, you, now you're taking the words right out of my mouth. Yeah, well, I, I wonder whether if you if you put like a solid starter in there, like a Harrison Barnes, they might oh, have a better chance. Um, they wouldn't be quite as hopeless as they sometimes look with some of these lineups. But uh, yes, point well taken. Congrats to Team Golliver. They are going to need Kevin Durant to win an NBA title this year. Do you think they can win without him on Sunday? I, I think they can. I, and I still see a path for them to be able to win this title without Kevin. I just yeah. think it's going to take like it's going to take all-time type games from either Steph or Clay or Draymond. Like it's one of those three guys because you mentioned Iguodala's injury issue. We've we've kind of ripped all the rest of those players to pieces. I think all three of their stars can play much better than they played in game 1. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean even Steph I didn't think I mean, he he had what a minus game for him. 
He he was okay. I would give him a B plus. Yeah, there you go. So I mean, like, he was aggressive, which is what they need. But they also need him to be like a little bit more like galactically dominant uh, to to have a chance to beat really good teams. And yeah. the Raptors are a really good team. He can't take eighteen shots, you know, and that number is like a little bit uh, lessened, I think, because of all the free throw attempts. But yeah, I mean, I think that would be my other adjustment: play those guys more, the stars. And then just tell Steph, like, look, man, we need 30 shots tonight. Well, and it's also difficult because he can't really initiate the offense as well uh, because the Raptors are, are blitzing him with extra guys whenever, whenever he's sort of initiating. And Sam Esfandiari made this point on Twitter, so I'm just stealing it directly from him. But that was true. He was He was coming off ball a lot tonight and had to work harder to get those touches. Well, everybody likes to talk about Steph's gravity, but it's a good example of Kevin's gravity. Yeah. Kevin's on the court. That stuff is a lot easier for Steph. Yeah. I'm going to I'm gonna let you enjoy this and savor <laughs> this night. Um, right here at the no, end. No, that, that's the thing is, like, I really do enjoy watching them play better because when they with, – with Kevin because I think they're steadier. I think they execute better. It's not – as emotionally like uplifting i think you know yeah. as when steph is just There's going less completely of the, nuts of the crisp passing and the cutting that right. we see with the the durantless warriors as well and i think that's right. the time like they, but this the, this stuff bothers me like when they just can't unlock anything on offense and it's like okay now steph just has to try to go into this hero mode that he's not used to being in and all these other guys are just missing open shots because uh, you know they're not used to taking those shots, or they're forcing things, or they're pressing. They start turning the ball over. I mean, to me, that's so much worse than whatever the worst version of the Warriors with Durant is. You know what I mean? Yeah, um, I don't agree. The worst version of the Warriors like doesn't really care. They miss defensive assignments. Yeah, like Katie, this is the playoffs though. They're- Katie gets a lot of credit for defense. He also blows a lot of assignments on defense. They- they've had some rough moments. Okay, I but during the playoffs though, I mean that's the thing. Like. Well, yeah. Let's compare apples to apples because their worst moments come in February when they just don't care and they're you know dropping a random game to whoever. But like in the playoffs, so when, like midway through the Rockets series last year, no, <laughs> they the Rockets were good last the year. The Rockets they, were. The Rockets that, played them really tough last year. You know what? I want to end on the Rockets actually. Perfect little segue because that's the other story that's kind of percolating beneath the surface of the finals. We've talked enough about the Lakers. I guess we could probably circle back and talk about the Baxter Holmes stuff, but Colin says, can someone explain to me why the Rockets are reacting as if they just missed the playoffs for the third straight year instead of, again, narrowly losing to an all-time great team? So what do you think? By the way, incidentally, we got like five Rockets emails at the buzzer tonight. (laughs) I don't know what that says about the NBA and how people consume the game, but like, uh, what's your Rockets take right now? I think, yeah, whenever Golden State looks vulnerable, everybody gets amped up for yeah, their own Yeah, why team, would right? the Rockets not run it back? My Rockets take is pretty simple. I mean, Tillman Fertitta, their new owner, is a complete wild card. He's given a lot of weird uh, interviews. He said a lot of things that are kind of outside the box. He's brand new at his job. He inherited a, a team that was all set for him, right? Yeah. So it's a classic situation. It's sort of like Sarver when he inherited the Suns, where like, oh, you think you're the genius. You think you're the guy who's so smart with your team you're not the one who built it and you can't be the person who screws it up uh unfortunately i think that's going to come at mike d'antoni's expense i don't get this idea of letting d'antoni go into a uh you know a lame duck year that seems like a horrible idea isn't it terrible i mean look did you see their their impromptu press conference that it looked like they staged in like a luxury box somewhere yeah it looked like daryl didn't want to be there um because i'm sure he didn't well and then daryl comes out and is and is talking about like this happens in pro sports like guys negotiate for extensions and sometimes you don't come to an agreement and it happens all the time and i'm like you know what else happens in pro sports is like you don't let coaches go into the year as a lame right. duck, and that's maybe a stupid tradition. But like teams quit on coaches, that ex- also happens. Exactly, yeah. and they fired all of his assistants, which is just unbelievable to me. Like the yeah. disrespect after the job that D'Antoni has done down there. So the thing was, my my first reaction when they the r- report came out about all the players are on the block and this and that, I actually thought it was kind of potentially a very skillful way of saying like look we're trying to trade chris paul this summer so like everybody we don't want to like make it seem like he's the fall guy we don't want to hurt his feelings we want to show him the right level of respect and everything like that but the only way that you can sort of like make it clear that that's what you want to do is to say oh everybody's available right it's like a cover story yeah um but even that charitable interpretation of what happened over the last week goes out the window when 
the D'Antoni thing blows up and they're giving this weird press conference where they're clearly on the defensive and kind of almost in panic mode and it's completely self-induced. None of this stuff needed to happen and to go down the way it is. And uh, Well, and D'Antoni, I can't imagine how I would react if you fired everyone I worked with and were like, yeah, like you can come back if you want. Like we're not going to give you an extension or anything. Like I, I, I'm surprised that he's even coming back, frankly. And I think maybe he's just doing it to call their bluff and make them fire him. Yeah, and get the cash out. I mean, uh, the coaches think that does happen too, you know, but that should be a mutual decision between everybody. And again, I don't see any scenario where if Daryl was sort of being the chief decision maker, that that's how they would have played it because yeah. it, it's, it's... Well, and it, it happens, but it, it happens when a team bottoms out. Like the Rockets four or five years ago, or I guess, yeah, four years ago when they came in with Ty Lawson and were supposed to challenge for a title and then just like flamed out of the playoffs. Shout out Ty Lawson, wherever you are. Still my guy, a lifetime member of Team Sharp. But like he, I mean... That's when you fire all the assistants. Right. But the Rockets were right there. And or, they were really good. Or if you get to the situation, you just feel like philosophically like something was just completely missing from that matchup. And, like, you know, your assistant coaches, like, you know, didn't do their jobs, didn't prepare you. But, look, I mean, the assistant coaches in Houston don't really matter that much because D'Antoni is – doesn't really coach sometimes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. he's catering in to James Harden. He's been pretty upfront about that. It's more of a relationships thing, though. Like, if you're co- comfortable with those people, if Harden is comfortable with those people – why them happy. why clean house just you know yeah exactly placate them i mean that's sort of the name of the game and, and, and we talked about this the rockets next year are gonna have a shot like right. you you see this this shell of a warriors team like the rockets are gonna be right there in the mix with everybody that's why i think if if it was daryl making the decision they would just have rolled forward with pretty much everybody the same and maybe trading chris paul would be the biggest move yeah uh because you know there's some real obvious you know financial reasons but also just sort of uh, you know, fit with with Harden questions that are sort of unresolved. So that's why it has to go back to the owner. And well, I don't know who's he going to blame if this goes back. I mean, look, like, Tillman. I we have to be a little bit diplomatic, but like every time this guy gets in front of a microphone, it's probably a bad idea. Yeah. I mean, he, he why came probably? Out. <laughs> why, why do you have to be diplomatic? about Well, it? he just sounds like kind of a horse's ass a lot of the Ooh. time, and so I just don't know what to say because he. he he came out at the end of that Warriors series and said, you know, I, we we should have stepped on their neck, which is like, first of all, true. But second of all, probably not how you talk about your team full of professional basketball players who just took one of the best teams of all time, like to the wire for the second year in a row, have a little bit of respect. And then he finished that quote by saying, like, once they get a little Tillman in them, they'll, they'll know. <laughs> it's just like, bro... I think you might be the worst owner in the NBA, which is saying something. I wouldn't go that far, but it, I wouldn't it's, because it's going to blow up in his competition. Face. Yeah, but. it's going to blow up in his face because he's going to realize that like all those role players who are coming on those discount deals. I mean, like they're going to do background research and, and Harden and Chris Paul and, and PJ Tucker. They have to recruit those guys, right? Yeah. And if you are you recruiting to an atmosphere that everybody's bought in, everybody's feeling together. Well, and that's going to show. If I'm a minimum salary guy and I have my choices, I'm looking at what Houston did and I'm saying, you know what? I'm good. <laughs> and it takes a special kind of audacity to basically skimp on the roster and cut every corner possible to avoid the luxury tax. Watch your team lose fairly valiantly, I would say, in the in the second round, and then say they need a little Tillman in them. <laughs> it's like, oh, I don't know. So uh, There's already too much Tillman in them, and I'm sure that uh, it's... Or not enough of Tillman's money in them, you know? Right. I mean, I'm sure it's wearing out its welcome. Yeah, Because people who have to deal with that on a regular basis and who are have been in it for their entire careers, a guy like D'Antoni has been in it for decades... He knows what a good owner is. He knows firsthand some bad owners. He's definitely dealt with a multiple and, of those. And it, Les Alexander in Houston was a was a great owner for the last thirty years. I don't know exactly how long he owned the team, but a long time before Tillman took over, and um, everything ran really smoothly. And the Rockets have been quietly one of the most competent organizations in basketball for a really really long time. And yeah. so this is kind of a weird direction that we're all headed here. Yeah, it's also dicey because, like, look, I mean, Harden has been so bought in these last couple of years, and I think it's really easy to take that for granted. We saw what it looked like when he wasn't bought in, right? Yeah, that one really awesome year. (laughs) Yeah, the one really ugly year. He wasn't in shape and everything else, and maybe he's just reached the stage of his career where he he's only motivated by himself, and if so, that's great. 
But it's really hard, even if you're an excellent top five type player, if your circumstances around you are crumbling. You know, if you don't feel like you can trust the coaching staff's going to be there, the you know the people who are working with you, player development guys, the front office is going to spend money. You don't know if you can trust the owner. It's really hard to stay mentally locked in in that situation. You know, to the level that you need to do to beat a team like Golden State or to beat a team like Toronto uh, or wh- whoever else is going to be there uh, in next year's postseason. So. That's one to watch, too. It's like, how does Harden process all of this? If I were him, I would be disgusted by what's happened. Yeah. Well, um, two questions at the very end here. Number one, do you have a Drake opinion one way or the other? Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Loaded question, pretty broad. Take it any direction you want. I mean, I I think he's good for the sport. I think he's great for the organization. I think he's having the time of his life. And I wouldn't want to to hold him back on any of that i agreed with adam silver saying that he crossed the line by touching the coach i don't think that should have happened i know that sounds really fuddy-duddy of me yeah um it doesn't really i mean it was kind of creepy and weird when it happened i just think if he was the owner he could touch the coach you know what i mean but in this weird nebulous even creepier but yeah right well, now we're thinking about, like, Tillman, like, yeah, going that's up. that's I'm wondering, yeah. Like, <laughs> Tillman's, like, putting Mike D'Antoni in a headlock during Tillman's the middle. Tillman's next move, you know. Yeah. Um, no, I, I just think that he's in a weird nebulous zone, and it bothers me for kind of the same reason uh, that Magic Johnson's whole thing with the Lakers for a while was bothering me. It's like, do you work for them, or are you advising them, or, like, what exactly is your role here because you're trying to have it both ways? Yeah. And I think that everybody would be better served if he was either, like, had a formal position – right where i don't know if we call him like chairman or something like that right or he's just a fan mm-hmm. but having it both ways i, I do, do think it gets into some like weird problematic areas but in terms of him like talking trash with draymond um i enjoyed that i that it, that tipped the scales for me i've been sort of undecided on drake i like him as as kind of an ornament of the Raptors organization. Dude, he's honestly he's the like, heart and soul of them, though. Like, don't you think to a certain degree they draw some confidence from him? Yeah, maybe. I mean, I don't know. If I played for the Raptors, I would probably look over at Drake sometimes and be like, all right, take it down a couple notches. Like, we're good. Well, you're, the, you're embarrassing us now. But at the same time, okay. he's he's paying for all your bottles at the club, and he's showing you the greatest time of your life, right? Perhaps. I mean, I think the players are winning here. Like, the random yeah, role like players. Yeah, like Fred Van Vliet yeah. is probably or, loving his opportunities to go out and hang with drake or Corey joseph you know what i mean but like the the ovo stuff is everywhere it's on the jerseys it's on their practice facility building so like there's clearly some real money and like you know financial relationships or or ties that are kind of binding all of this so it's just not simple it's very difficult to wrap your mind around but i do think it kind of sets a dangerous precedent right yeah i I mean mean, it's a slippery slope i I don't know i think it's so unique to drake that we're not really going to see it replicated anywhere but um but i do love like he is he's the raptors green monster if you will (laughs) like he's their home court advantage i i will be annoyed if he comes to oracle and tries to do this on the road but i like that he does it in toronto that's that's cool with me. I will also say that seeing him in person tonight, I did wonder whether he's like on steroids or something. He's a yeah. lot thicker than I remember. I'm not sure what he's going for there, but um, and like the the Del Curry jersey. That honestly, my my journey with Drake tonight. I saw him with the Del Curry jersey and rolled my eyes and was like, God, is this dude just constantly trying to go viral? Just like yeah. No, he is. That's what he's been doing that for five years. And that part actually doesn't bother me because he understands the internet better than basically everybody, right? self-aware. If you were like 30% less self-aware, I would be cool with Drake entirely. Yeah, I guess the parts that bother me are more boring things like, okay, contact with players and coaches, trash-talking with opposing players in that manner where if that was just a random fan, that probably doesn't happen, right? Or like maybe they get ejected for a game too, right? See, the reason I enjoy that though, and that's what tipped the scales back in favor of Drake, and I'm sure this will continue the entire series for me, is like Draymond and Drake probably see each other places and know each other. Drake uh, Drake has tattoos of Kevin Durant and Stephen Curry's numbers on his body. Does he? Yeah. What? Yeah. He's like flown on the team plane before. 
What? <laughs> I'm breaking this news to you. It's crazy when I know pop culture better than you do. Oh my god, you might have tipped the scales back in the other direction with Drake. You can't yeah, I, tattoo I, someone else's number on your body. See, I was all prepared to come on here on the last episode and refer to Gucci Mane as Main Gucci, just to like you know <laughs> pretend to lean into the idea that I'm you know out of touch with uh, the music musicians yeah. that like hang out at the games because he was there representing the Bucks. Uh, but yeah, Drake is been very like kind of taken a polygamist approach to he fandom. Sure, yeah yeah that i know i did not know that extended <laughs> to tattoos i still don't know if i believe that's real no it's real it's late anything could possibly be real at this i wouldn't point. make that up it's it's 100 percent facts and i do think though like what happens if that escalated it could have escalated right draymond's not going to back down drake's not going to back down if this series continues if toronto's up three zero does Draymond keep walking? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> so can't we envision of a scenario? Of all the scenarios in play, a brawl between Draymond and Drake, yeah. It's all on the table tonight after the Raptors win game one. I just think we're in slippery slope territory. That's all I'm saying. And it's clear that even though the NBA supposedly warned him or tried to tell him to, like, chill out and there was maybe some discussion of moving where he was going to sit, which obviously got nixed, it's clear he's playing by his own rules. And I don't know. I'm not trying to, like, concern troll and say, oh, there's going to be some big fist fight or whatever. But I do think if you keep letting him walk this line all the way to the end, at some point something's going to happen, right? Yeah. I do. I, I appreciate him putting his money where his mouth is, though, and being like, Draymond, you're trash. <laughs> like, that's fun. Mix it up, Drake. Do your worst, because well, I don't think a fight is, is actually a realistic outcome. But you're right that, like, potentially things could get dicey. Well, it's, it's just the standard that he's setting for whoever else might want to be in that yeah, role. Yeah, for, for uh, Donnie Wahlberg at the Celtics games, then it becomes a different conversation when right. he's calling Trayvon trash. The thing is, I knew this was going to be, like, a five-hour Drake love fest when we got here. But, like, the T-shirts had his logo on it, all the songs. No, the songs I during this the show. at All-Star in 2016. Like, yeah. the... the level of love he has in this city people really do unironically wear ovo stuff like everywhere they go they have the ovo jordan partnership and it's just like i don't know i i own like one wale t-shirt but i could never imagine like outfitting myself with another man's brand man it's so sad the, D- the dc comparisons you throw in next thing you know <laughs> we're gonna get another it was a rivalry at one point we're back gonna, in like mixtape drake days we're gonna get another bradley beal reference here for the 19th straight <laughs> episode for no reason the, the sadness that you can bring in with these uh, uh, well the listen, dc comparison points on that note we will be back next week after game two i believe these games are spaced out so much that i believe we're going to be able to do a podcast after every game so well the good thing is too that they are spaced out so we need your questions about the other topics you know we only touched on the the rockets thing briefly but there's a lot going on around the nba so guys email those questions in openfloormail at gmail.com openfloormail at gmail.com and we're not going to just turn this into like game recap podcast right i mean after every single game we'll We'll, we'll talk about the games but i think we should be trying to hit on some other topics there's draft stuff free agency stuff the rockets implosion uh and and the list goes on and on so send those questions in also we are on apple Podcasts. find our page by searching for open floor that's two words once you get there scroll down it will say rate and review tap five stars it's just that easy Andrew we're over 1700 reviews on Apple Podcasts that's an incredible number many people are jealous of that number some random people saw me on the concourse today and they said you're the guy with 1700 Apple Podcast <laughs> reviews I was like I'm that guy just think how jealous they'll all be when we get to 2000 right so get us over the hump so we have to have some bragging rights when we come back to uh, Scotiabank for game five um, also, we are on the world-famous radio.com slash openfloor. Check me out on Instagram at ben.golver. I will be posting video of where we took this podcast or taped this podcast, and uh, you should check it out because this is one of the hairier locations. Just, we're living the dream right now. We've ever uh, inhabited. Scotiabank, I think, is dark. Uh, All right, you got to go right. I got to go hit the, uh, the hotel. Andrew, until next week, I will talk to you. All right, man.